0: Bird Note presents...
1: I'm walking through this high elevation forest in Hawaii, surrounded by birdsong that you can't hear anywhere else on the planet. And I'm looking at trees that are totally unique to this part of the world, some with bright red pom-pom flowers, others stretching nearly 100 feet upward, sporting reddish golden bark, tree ferns all around. The incredible lushness of all these shades of green. There's this mele that I just can't get out of my head. It's an Hawaiian chant from many years ago, filled with images of abundance and reverence for the forest and the birds. It would have been sung by someone preparing to enter a forest just like this one. Noah Gomes shared it with me the other day
2: ka eu ukia elekei. ke
0: I'm Ari Daniel, and this is Threatened. In this season, we're meeting the birds that inhabit islands, specifically the islands that make up Hawaii. Islands are a microcosm of the broader challenges facing the planet. They're ecologically distinct places, but also uniquely vulnerable. We're starting with a group of birds that are only found in Hawaii, the honeycreepers. And to kick this season off, I'm here with field biologist and producer Jesse Eden, listening together to that melee from NOAA. Hey there, Jesse.
1: Hey, Ari. Can you tell me about Noah? Noah is an educator and researcher with a lifelong love of birds and a passion for his Hawaiian culture and language. He's Native Hawaiian or Kanaka Maoli. We're going to use a lot of Hawaiian words throughout this season. Unlike in much of the United States, many original names for the endemic plants and animals here didn't get erased in common usage and replaced with English names. The Hawaiian
0: bird names, a lot of the time, they sound like the bird's call or song.
1: Yeah, it's really intuitive. Kanaka Maoli have a special relationship with the birds of Hawaii, something Noah has researched. A lot of um, them
2: appear in our stories, in our our mele, our, our chants. There's symbolic meaning. The birds have meaning to particular families because their ancestors can come back as omakua, taking the form of those birds.
1: There's a phenomenal amount of unique bird life here in Hawaii that a lot of people are totally unaware of. Even many folks that live here aren't in touch with some of this amazing beauty. And that's because the special native bird species in Hawai'i are becoming rarer. So now fewer people than ever get to experience them.
2: Every time something like that disappears, every time we lose a plant, every time we lose an invertebrate, every time we lose a bird, every time we lose the land in some form or another, I think there is an incremental loss to the Hawaiian people. We need to value the ecosystems, the plants, the animals, the what have you, the wind, the rain everything that has made us what we are. And we have an obligation to steward that, to keep that as a part of our lives.
1: Noah and a lot of other people are working hard in Hawaii every day to do exactly that, to make Hawaii's birds a part of our lives. And the first step is learning more about them.
0: All right, let's go, Jesse. Where are we heading today to do that?
1: Today, we're visiting the tallest mountain in the Hawaiian Islands. It's called Mauna Kea, and it's on Hawaii Island, the big island. We're starting here because one bird family that calls Mauna Kea home is iconic of Hawaii. They're called the honeycreepers. Colleen Cole is program manager for Three Mountain Alliance, an organization that works to protect Hawaii Island's precious forests.
3: The story of especially the adaptive radiation of honeycreepers is one that should blow everybody away.
1: Adaptive radiation is when a single species spreads out across an isolated region, and then, as it finds unique niches in the environment, that single species evolves into numerous species, which is exactly what happened with the honeycreepers. A
3: small flock of some kind of Eurasian finch found their way to these emerging islands in the middle of the vast Pacific blown way off course from somewhere. For some reason, the small flock of finches found their way here and they stayed here. And this is one species that radiated into dozens of species and they filled every niche available.
0: So I remember from bio class, Jesse, that Darwin saw the same evolutionary process play out on the Galapagos Islands, but clearly it didn't happen just there.
1: Yes, exactly. While the Galapagos finches were a great case study for Darwin with almost 20 species from one, the islands of Hawaii are an even more striking example of adaptive radiation. That one species of finch, over millions of years, evolved into over 55. But over half of the honeycreepers have gone extinct. Six were declared extinct just this past year.
3: And the fact that we've lost most of them, they'll never be seen again in any place or time. Ever.
1: Forever. Lost to the ages. So much loss. But we know that we have to focus on the birds that remain. There are 17 honeycreeper species still here, over half of them endangered. And to save them, we have to restore our forests and some semblance of ecosystem health. These native birds are fully dependent on the plants, flowers, and trees and insects that they adapted with here in the islands. And many plants and trees are fully dependent on the birds for things like pollination and seed dispersal. Hawaii is their only home.
0: And I've been learning that over recent centuries, people have had a big and devastating impact on Hawaiian ecosystems. All the large-scale agriculture, intensive ranching, logging, and introduced critters and diseases from elsewhere in the world, that it's all contributed
1: to scarring Hawaii's forests. It has, and a lot of people are surprised to learn that the only terrestrial mammal native to Hawai'i is a single bat species. All the other land mammals that you see here were introduced by humans. Changes to the island's ecology have happened so fast. The native birds here haven't had time to adjust to these changes, and they don't have anywhere else to go.
0: We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, Jesse digs into the story of one kind of honeycreeper. It's courtroom drama and what happens when we come together to protect it. Stick around.
4: Join Bird
5: Note on Wednesday, March 27th for a captivating conversation about the power of photography. A panel of esteemed photographers will share their experiences Breathtaking captures and insights into how stunning imagery can inspire action for birds. Plus, stick around to hear the winners of BirdNote's 19th Birthday Photo Contest.
1: Register for free at birdnote.org. There's one honeycreeper species in particular who's an example of how intertwined the birds are to their place. It's the critically endangered palila. They're so cute. They're
3: kind of fluffy. They've got the most gorgeous, like, daffodil yellow and a black mask and then the most elegant dove gray. So they're striking.
0: Jesse, was that Colleen, the Three Mountain Alliance program manager?
1: Yeah, but that's not her only title. She's also been called the Palila Queen by her bird survey colleagues. That's because when she does the surveys, she often counts more Palila than anybody else. When you spend a lot of time in their habitat, you hear them almost like talking to
3: each other. It reminds you of somebody sort of humming to themselves.
1: Palila used to be widespread in the islands, thriving on Kauai, Oahu, and the Big Island. But these days,
3: they're only found on one side of one mountain, on one island in the middle of the Pacific. <laughs> so, yeah, they're a very vulnerable population.
1: Palila survive on a tiny stretch of forest on Mauna Kea's southwest flank. Remember, Mauna Kea is the tallest mountain in the Hawaiian Islands, so it's high elevation. The lower elevations of the Hawaiian Islands have been transformed by land use practices that fragmented or destroyed forests. Palila had to follow their habitat, which meant moving to higher and higher ground. A lot of that land
3: use, especially on Mauna Kea, there was a lot of grazing there. And so their habitat got smaller and smaller. You have all this land that's been, for agriculture, sort of below, and then you have a tree line. They got more and more squeezed over time into this narrow habitat.
1: So now, all the Palila have to work with is 5% of their original range. That's because it's where their food is. Remember how we talked about adaptive radiation?
0: Right. When those Eurasian finches landed in Hawaii, how they evolved into a bunch of different species.
1: Exactly. Well, some birds began to eat nectar, some ate insects. The palila specialized on seeds. They found a lot of times in mamane trees, right, which are known for their beautiful
3: blossoms. And they're this gorgeous, deep golden yellow. So they just look like they're
1: made to coexist with mamane. Palila adapted with the mamane tree over many years, evolving a short, pointy beak perfectly suited to breaking into the mamane's green seed pods. Actually, opening a pod for a small bird is a tough thing. Wildlife biologist Paul Banco has spent a lot of his career studying Palila.
0: If you watch Palila pulling these pods open, they're opening hundreds of pods in the course of a day you got to figure, man, their necks must be just so sore at the end of the day because they use a lot of strength. You won't find any lazy birds in the Hawaiian forest because it's just too hard to make a living. You see for about three to four months, parents demonstrating techniques for ripping open the pods, the youngsters making kind of bumbling attempts to do that at first, you know, the parents still having to
1: feed them these kapuna, if you will, Keep many populations going. Kapuna is Hawaiian for elder, the revered older generation. These kapuna birds, as Paul puts it, have always mentored that next generation, teaching vital survival skills to their young. Palila cannot exist without mamane trees, and so as the forest declined, so did the palila. And in 1967, they were listed as endangered, one of the first species in the U.S. to receive that designation. Twelve years later, a landmark case was brought on behalf of these birds, Palila versus the Hawaii Department of Land and Natural Resources. The lawsuit was against the state agency because they weren't protecting this endangered bird's habitat.
0: So, Jesse, this was different from other lawsuits that said you just had to protect the animal?
1: Exactly. They argued that habitat is vital to the well-being and survival of a species. And this is kind of wild. When this went to court, the plaintiff made an appearance.
0: What? The bird was there?
1: Yeah, they brought a stuffed palila from a Hawaiian museum into the courtroom. The judge examined it, and it remained there throughout the proceedings.
0: I love that. So, Jesse, how did the lawsuit actually unfold?
1: Ultimately, the ruling was in favor of Palila. They said the damage to their habitat had to stop. This was a pivotal decision. It's been used as precedent in other cases like that of the spotted owl in Pacific Northwest forests.
0: Should we consider that kind of a success story for these birds?
1: Oh, man, we wish. The court ruled that the sheep and other grazers had to be removed, and many of them have, but not all. And a fence to keep them out still hasn't been fully completed. Some sheep still remain right there in Palila habitat.
0: Wait, over 40 years since that initial court ruling and the state still trying to get those sheep out of there? It sounds like these delays would have been devastating for the Palila.
1: Yeah, the palila have been struggling. And you know what, Ari? We haven't even talked about the introduced feral cats that sometimes eat palila. Oh, boy. Yeah, so on top of the habitat destruction, introduced predators are another challenge to palila and the other forest birds, of course. Hiking through the palila's Mamane Forest one morning, I was hoping to hear at least one bird singing, but I actually got to hear two. At last survey, the Palila population was down to several hundred birds. But folks like Alex Wong say there's hope.
5: I think this is a savable species, frankly.
1: Alex is a wildlife biologist with the Division of Forestry and Wildlife. He says the fate of this entire species could be as simple as putting up a fence that would keep sheep and predators out.
5: Palila country up here would be a perfect place to build a predator-proof fence that'll keep out cats mongoose and rats. And then if we put that where the pleal are breeding, I think they have a good chance to rebound.
0: Okay. So maybe this is a silly question, but these fences keep cattle and sheep out. Sure. Mongoose, rats. Okay. But cats, how does that work exactly?
1: That's not a dumb question at all. It's basically a fence that, you know, obviously they can't fit through. And then at the top of it, there's some sort of overhang so that the cats can't effectively climb over it. You know, they would be going upside down and trying to wrap themselves around the upper part of the fence.
0: And I guess the fences are either far enough away from the trees or tall enough that the cats aren't going to be able to jump on over.
1: Right, and Alex here has a lot of experience with fences and what a difference they can make for conservation. He often works in an area with effective fences, protecting habitat from grazers. It's just on the other side of Mount Akea. It's about a two-hour drive over some rough terrain by car, about 10 miles away as the birds fly. But it's a world of difference for the honeycreepers that live there.
5: This area was grazed by cattle, so it was really roughed up, but there's no longer cattle in here. We're not ranching it. Could it do better? Yeah, but I, I'd still say it's a success.
1: This area is called Hokalau Forest National Wildlife Refuge. It's surrounded by fences, plenty of gates to pass through as you enter the rainforest.
5: The canopy trees are growing back. Hakalao, you can observe in satellite imagery. It's just been a an amazing transition of these canopy trees. It's been a major restoration site for a long time, and it's a high elevation, so it's got some of the highest densities of our endangered birds.
1: When I hiked through Palila country, I'd heard two of them singing, and I felt like I'd won the lottery. But here, in this restored, lush Hakalau forest, when the wind stopped rustling the trees, my ears were filled with birdsong.
5: I don't know if you've been seeing or hearing this morning, but there's tons of akepa here, which is um, fantastic to see.
1: Akepa are one of six species of honey creepers that can be found in Hakalau.
5: The akepa is gorgeous. It's like blaze orange, and it's just so vibrant. It's like like a traffic sign. (laughs) Over there, you can see even from far away, there's a bright red eevee. There it goes, being chased by another young eevee. That's the eevee with that kind of raspy, metallic sounding. So that's the amakihi, but there's a one that kind of sounds similar to that, the olivee here. They were singing this morning, where it's a trill as well, but it has a long overall descending arch.
1: And the olive is the one that Noah Gomes helped name, is that correct?
5: Yeah, yep. It's the one he helped kind of rediscover its forgotten Hawaiian name. And so, yeah, we had a whole naming ceremony, and it was great that we were able to bring the name olive back.
1: Noah's the researcher and cultural practitioner who we met earlier.
2: I was doing a lot of research in the Hawaii State Archives. And I got lucky and came across a bunch of material regarding birds and bird catching that um, had gone overlooked.
1: Noah kept finding accounts mentioning a bird called the alavi, and he realized it fit the description of a bird we've been calling the Hawaii creeper. Nobody knew its original name. So Noah shared this research with Alex and other colleagues, and now people are able to use this bird's appropriate Hawaiian name again.
2: Names are power, right? You know something's name, you have a degree of familiarity with it, you have a relationship you're building with it. Knowing the name for this bird is Alavi connects us where suddenly it's relevant to all kinds of things in our past that we didn't know about. It's particularly important for Native peoples who have experienced loss of their language um, because there are so many things encoded in
1: that. Partnerships between cultural practitioners and biologists are vital to finding a way forward. Native Hawaiians, or Kanaka Maoli, developed intimate knowledge of the inner workings of forest ecosystems and honeycreepers and how to be a part of those relationships.
2: Everything is just really connected in a lot of different ways within the indigenous world, within the science world. There are things that we can learn from the indigenous way of thinking, not just living, but the way of thinking and the perspectives that are involved with that, that can inform our practices today.
1: The sharing of knowledge is increasing throughout Hawaii. It's essential for healing this place, connecting our communities and saving our birds. It's something more and more biologists like Pat Hart are recognizing and incorporating into their practices.
4: So when we enter the forest, just to put you like in the right frame of mind to enter the forest, Hawaiians feel best if they ask for permission before they enter a place.
1: On this particular day, I had joined Pat as he was heading out along a trail in the Hakalau Forest. But before we got to work, Pat recited a mele that was written by a friend and colleague of his.
4: The place is offering you something, and so what can you offer the place? And so in this, you offer your breath, is the idea. I say O vai ke mauna when you say O mauna ke ke mana, O vai ke moku, O hilo ke moku, O wai ke ahupua'a, O hakalau ke ahupua'a. And then I say yahai kahiki anamai. For what reason do we come? E como e como au io kahikoma, which is we are. Entering to learn from the ancient ones. Probably missing a little bit of the translation there. Hey, aloha, hey, hey, aloha. Oh, 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 yeah. And then you breathe in, breathe out, and then you're done.
1: Hawaii's honeycreepers evolved with this unique part of the world, developing special relationships with their forest homes. It's all connected. And it's the same with us. Our own fate is tied to the health of these ecosystems, just as it is for the birds.
4: In my mind, in 10 years, given the political will, my goal is for humans to be able to live around native birds again, like we used to, and let them be part of our lives.
1: And people like Alex feel a real sense of responsibility to take care of their home.
5: I think it's our kuleana or responsibility. I mean, we live here. These things were here long before us long before us and they are going extinct because of us and it's preventable and we know what we need to do it will cost money yes it'll take effort i think that's important
1: yeah you are a dedicated passionate bunch that is for sure
5: i mean i love these birds so um i don't know i don't i don't get depressed and not do things i try to do all the things to
2: save them
1: and noah agrees
2: Having responsibility, as we say, among Hawaiians, is is an honor. Um, Kuleana is an honor to have.
0: In addition to the habitat destruction and invasive species that Jesse told us about in this episode, honeycreepers are up against another big threat, mosquitoes that transmit a deadly disease. But there is hope on the horizon.
5: This is the first two that's come along that doesn't send up red flags everywhere.
0: So I'm cautiously optimistic. But will it come in time for the honeycreepers? That's next week Unthreatened. This episode was produced by Jesse Eden and me, Ari Daniel. It was edited by Caitlin Pierce of the Rough Cut Collective. Audio mix by Sam Johnson and Mark Bramhill. Fact-checking by Connor Geerin. Our theme song and original music were composed by Ian Coss, with additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. Threatened is a production of BirdNote and overseen by content director Allison Wilson. You can find a transcript of this show and additional resources, BirdNote's other podcasts, and much more at birdnote.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time.